Data is mission critical today, providing IT companies with the insight needed to compete, innovate, strategize, and succeed, according to Crawford Pratt, president of IDC. The respected research executive joins Beyond Distribution host Frank Vitagliano for an engaging discussion on the state of the industry, including the peaks and valleys of the past few years and outlook for 2024. Which tech advances will provide a solid boost to the hardware market. Here, Delpret discuss the answers and share a teaser about his upcoming Summit North America keynote in this episode of Beyond Distribution with GTDC. Well, hello everybody and welcome to the, our next episode of Beyond Distribution. I'm delighted today to have Crawford Delpret, who is the president of IDC. Crawford, welcome. Hey, how are you, Frank? Great to see you. Thanks for having me. It's really good to see you and good to continue our relationship. Uh, as uh, many of the folks know, who listen in, we have, uh, for two years now, we've had a tremendous relationship, GTDC and IDC, and we're continuing that. So I'm delighted that uh, we're able to work together going into 2024. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're thrilled about the partnership as well. Uh, it's been an incredibly uh, successful partnership, both from a knowledge standpoint uh, and our ability for us to deliver a new set of data uh, to, to the marketplace. Um, and uh, on a personal note, Frank, I think you and I have known each other for many, many, many years. Uh, and it's great to be able to, to uh, work with you in this capacity uh, uh, in, in your role at the GTDC as opposed to previous roles we both had. Yeah, well, speaking of that then, um, talk a little bit about yourself and maybe perhaps the your journey you know, through the various roles to where you got to today. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> uh, I have been uh, with IDC for many, many, many years. I joined actually uh, in the late uh, 1980s, uh, believe it or not. Uh, I, I, I was in the financial services industry. I worked for a company called Harlan Decisions. And before that was uh, at a company that's now was known as UBS. Uh, mm -hmm. For those of you that have been around a long time, it was, a, it was an investment firm called Payne Weber uh, that I was at for many, many, uh, well, for, for, for a short period of time when I started my career. Um, I uh, joined IDC. I was really uh, contemplating the equity analyst path and decided that uh, I wanted to become a technology analyst. And so I joined uh, this company, this this company called IDC, that uh, has grown uh, as as my career has grown. Coincidentally, um, I think one of the reasons that I enjoy working so much with the channel is that my career at IDC as an analyst was very much on the enterprise infrastructure and the hardware uh, side of the business. I actually started in the storage area, covering companies like EMC, covering uh, companies like Hewlett-Packard and uh, uh, Dell. In those days, Dell was mostly a PC manufacturer, server manufacturer. But as my career progressed, I ultimately uh, became more uh, in interested in, 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 in focused on the enterprise infrastructure space then the application software space, then the services space. And then about, oh boy, it's almost 15 years ago now, I was named our chief research officer. So became chief research officer of the company, which was really setting the research agenda for the entire company in the areas that we focused on. And that, of course, as you would know, Frank, was, was uh, coincident with the cloud and with the beginnings of the cloud and sort of this idea of uh, software as a service and what we called in those days because in this industry, we tend to complicate things. We call it service-oriented architecture in those mm -hmm. days, but ultimately became SaaS. And um, 
set our research agenda around the journey associated with the cloud. Uh, and then uh, about uh, six years ago, became our chief operating officer, and then about five years ago, became our president. And uh, I'm just thrilled with, with the progress that we've made. Uh, the team has worked super, super hard through many, many different twists and turns, uh, and uh, just you know, really, really proud of, of what we've been able to achieve at IDC um, over the last 30 years, but you know, e even more recently, uh, over the last 10, as the industry has evolved, I've seen IDC reinvent itself, and 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 I think it's really um, near and dear to many distributors. You know, I, I look at many of the companies that participate in the channel; those companies have reinvented themselves four, five, six times in my career uh, as technology has changed, and, and IDC has very much followed a similar path. Yeah, that and that's a really uh, really incredible, impressive path. And and certainly, you know, what IDC does and has been doing, this whole whole area of market intelligence is um, is really important to the industry. One of the things that a lot of people, I don't think, understand about IDC, and even I was surprised having known you guys for a long time, is just the, the, the breadth of the services that you yeah. guys provide. And, you know, just for example, the number of analysts you have, you, I can't find a category in the <laughs> IT space where you don't have experts running around talking about it, you know? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So thank you. Um, yeah. So we have uh, over 1,100 analysts uh, that are based in uh, over 50 countries uh, around the world. So we we talk about, we, we're, we're based in about 52 countries around the world, but we cover over a hundred countries. And so um, we, you know, you get into some of the, uh, the smaller countries around, you know, you have an analyst covering two or three countries. Um, but um, we do this because we really believe that technology is changing the world. And we believe the way to understand technology is to be in those local markets. Um, you know, it's not hard to estimate the market from you know, your apartment somewhere and, and kind of call it worldwide data. And there are a lot of people that do a decent job of doing that, but it's very, very different if you're working with import export records, or if you're working with um, uh, 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 local uh, inventories and understanding when uh, a large school district in Italy is gonna bring down a deal for Chromebooks and that's gonna make the market look really, really strange for one quarter, but you can explain it and you can provide that value to a company locally to understand uh, why demand is maybe fluctuating in a specific region. And so, you know, the term that you've all heard, but we really live it every day is global. So it's sort of global research, but it's at the it's, it's, it's at the local level. And, and we really, very, very strongly believe that that is a tremendous differentiator for an IDC, whether you're covering SaaS or whether you're covering PCs or whether you're covering mobile phones. I mean, you know, uh, we have over 100 analysts in China uh, and, and, and understanding how Huawei is adopting their own uh, app store, understanding how Huawei is now wooing high-end customers away from Apple, something that nobody ever thought was possible. Um, we see that every day on the ground in our offices uh, in Beijing, uh, in Shenzhen. Uh, and, and I think that's a real differentiator for us. Yeah, it is for sure. I mean, I know personally, I've met with some of your analysts in various parts of the world. And yep. it's incredible to me that uh, what they're able to combine is sort of, you know, what you described as, you know, the overall macro, and we'll talk about macro environment in a few minutes, but the macro environment with kind of on the street, which 
which you know brings us to a little bit of the what what you what we did together because what we did together by building the North America distributor um, tracking mechanism provided you with the next level of detail in the space that you know we share uh, and and that's a great example of you know how you guys just kind of dig in and you're able to really provide information from the ground up and uh, and it's useful. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, we deal, you know, it's funny because uh, people believe and people think that IDC operates in sort of these, um, exclusively in these massive data sets, like you would see a TRW or an Experian or uh, one of these companies operate in these huge data sets. And the truth is that we do operate in big data sets, but we really operate in data sets that by comparison to a, an Experian are relatively small but they are super, super valuable. And, and I, a term I use with my team a lot is it's, it's very, very precious data. IDC doesn't do a lot of, we do some aggregation of data, but we do a lot of creating of data that doesn't exist by having those 1100 analysts all around the world. And I believe strongly that our next chapter is taking that data that doesn't exist, that we create, combining it with data that we can source, like the data from the North American Distribution Tracker, and creating new levels of insights that never existed before. Um, and I really believe that that is a tremendous differentiator in value. And then you combine that with, we'll talk about this later in the conversation, but you combine that with AI, and I think you've got some incredible opportunities to really uh, assist people in decision-making and assist people uh, with um, complicated problems that otherwise would have taken hours and hours and hours to research um, in ways that no one ever thought possible just a few years ago. Yeah, it's true. It's funny when, when we started working together and people, you know, asked us about the relationship, the way I positioned it was we were very interested in, in having a partner that not only can tell us what the data was, but right. also tell us what happened, why it happened, and then hopefully give us some insight into what might happen. And right. that's the piece that really becomes valuable, particularly in our industry, because in our industry, you know, people are looking at that data all the time to make critical decisions on, you know, how many units do I build? How do I price the units? You know, how do we market the units? What do we tell the board? <laughs> what do we tell Wall Street, you know, in terms of what's happening? that all of those items, all of those questions are answered with the data that, you know, we jointly have. And I, and for us, that's really valuable, really valuable. Absolutely. And, and we take that very, very, very seriously. And, you know, our analysts, uh, I know on a personal note and, and, and our analysts as well, you know, we're talking to those CEOs on a regular basis in terms of helping them understand where those pricing trends are going, why we're seeing the pricing trends that we're seeing, uh, and helping them interpret that data. Uh, it's it's incredibly valuable, uh, and and it's uh, you know again our 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 vision and our mission is to really you know help the world understand the impact of technology on on business and and society, and and we all take that incredibly seriously because our data is used by so many different constituents to make you know, very, very important decisions. Yeah, mission critical. So, so Crawford, changing courses just a little bit, but yep. kind of staying on the general theme, um, you know, as we look into our crystal ball for 2024, um, there's a lot of macroeconomic trends out there that, you know, are <laughs> troubling, frankly, uh, right? And um, 
Some of them have been in place for a while, uh, like, you know, discussions about U.S. recession and things like that. And some mm -hmm. of them are relatively new, like, you know, wars in the Middle East and things like yeah. that. What's your view? You know, it's sort of a high level on some of the things that we need to watch for as we begin 2024. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish the news were were a little bit better, Frank, but I think that the, the truth is that we're going to need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable uh, in the, in the, in the, in the marketplace. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty and I think you're going to see that this uncertain market and this ability to understand uh, and, and, and rationalize, not rationalize, but um, uh, uh, be able to quickly in an agile way, take action uh, when you're dealt, when you're dealt, a very uncertain situation is going to continue. And whether that's um, the, you know, whether there's a lane for a, for, for a soft landing uh, from a, from an economic standpoint, um, it's, it's very clear that um, we are going to see uh, the Fed, I think based on the, the actions that we saw in the most recent Fed meeting, you know, interest rates are beginning to come down. We're starting to see, uh, you know, positive signs there. And I think that we will continue to see, uh, you know, rates uh, uh, have more downward pressure than than upward pressure in, from from the Fed. I think that will open up a lane uh, for a higher probability of a soft landing. But I still wouldn't rule out, based on the economic signals that we see, uh, that we may see a relatively shallow recession. Now, it may be one of those recessions that you open up the Wall Street Journal one day and it says, "Hey, you've been in a recession." And you're kind of like, well, this is kind of what a recession feels like. You know, it's it's not it's not a deep recession like you and I would remember from say 1982 uh, or or 1981, but it's it it, it could be that kind of a situation. Yeah. I think you know we are going to see uh, a lot of instability in the Middle East. We're we have a very very difficult uh, situation um, in Israel right now, and and it's just tragic and and unfortunately. You know that translates into a lot of uncertainty in that region, which can translate into oil prices being uh, elevated, shocks associated with, and and again, petroleum uh, is is a very very important commodity that we continue to use. Now, having said that, we're seeing economies around the world respond by continuing to use technology like oil sands technology and shale technology to balance the. Um, situation with higher oil prices. So I think that, you know, it's really that last bit of what I said. It's it's not that we're going to see a, a uh, less unstable marketplace. The market's going to be just as unstable. The situation will be, how do we respond to that? How does the world respond to these very, very mixed signals that we're going to see? And I believe that, you know, what we're seeing outside of some of the, some of the, the, the the instability in the Middle East and the war in the Middle East is we're we're seeing uh, an economic reverberation from the pandemic, right? We 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 stimulated the economy. We put so much um, money into economies around the world during the pandemic, and we've really now we saw a ramp up, and now we've seen a ramp down um, associated with spending uh, in in IT. Um, and so interestingly. The situation that we're facing in IT is that we actually believe we'll see a bit of an IT recovery in 2024. I think we could see, you know, we'll see somewhere around 5% growth for IT in 23. I think we could see a 
uh, 100 basis points better, about 6% growth next year. Um, and I think that um, that will be fueled by a few things. It'll be fueled by uh, a little bit stronger demand for the cloud, where the cloud kind of cooled off and infrastructure as a service came down to about 18% growth. We'll probably see that get back up over 20% uh, percent, uh, annual growth for the cloud. And then I think near and dear to a lot of distributors' hearts, we're going to see the PC uh, start to come back. Um, we saw, you know, you couldn't find a PC during the pandemic back in 2020, back in 2021. Now here we are th four years on, you know, PCs, they break, they wear out, they get they get dropped, the, the things happen. And so we're seeing that, you know, we're going to likely see a new refresh cycle associated with PCs. We're going to see Microsoft make a very important decision around Windows 11, uh, and there will likely be an end of life there. So we'll see the need for a new upgrade cycle. And uh, wait for it, Frank, we're going to see AI embedded into PCs. <laughs> I knew that was coming. I knew that was and, coming. And, uh, and, and, and as you see AI embedded into PCs, that's going to drive a new set of apps and a new set of workloads that uh, leverage data that's closer to the point of decision, perhaps in a less connected way, and so need to do more local processing. And all these things are going to fuel PC demand, which will drive some of that five to six percent growth that I saw that, that, that I talked about for next year. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a that's a great recap because yeah. you, you hit a lot of things there. Um, you know, you you mentioned <clears throat> two things there, actually three that I want to go back to. One is. Yeah. Cloud certainly, and and we've seen you know, it, you know it's funny, Crapper. When I go back 10, 12 years or so, and I think about sort of cloud and the evolution of cloud, it started out kind of slowly, and people were trying to figure out, you know, how where the uses were, how to monetize it, how it was going to play out, and it's now it's certainly there and it's pervasive. Um, do you forecast or continue to see significant growth in the in the, sort of the cloud space, if you will? Yeah, I mean, our our expectation is that we will, you know, continue to see enterprises move more and more workloads uh, to the cloud. But, you know, it's important to say that, you know, that number will be around half uh, of those workloads, but all workloads will continue to grow, right? So, so it's not as if we expect to see uh, that on-premise goes away and that you know cloud sort of takes over the world i mean actually if you if you kind of click down on it into a little bit it's very different given you know different customer segments um but a large customer segment you know they're going to have probably more of an investment in cloud because they've learned that you know the cloud is more secure the uh the the cloud gives you a level of of flexibility that you wouldn't necessarily uh, have if you hadn't moved to a cloud, and this is, these are important words, a cloud-like architecture, even on-premise. So I think what you're going to see with large enterprises is they're moving more to a hybrid cloud environment, where maybe you know more than or, or around half of their workloads are going to be in the cloud, but they're mm -hmm. also going to have a significant number of workloads that are going to be in hybrid environments. They're going to be on-premise, but in a cloud environment that they have similar flexibility and ability to manage across their on-premise environment and to their cloud environment. 
Yeah. And I think that's going to continue to be um, a trend. And I think you're going to continue to see that companies are going to burst to the cloud when they need to. They're going to move some workloads to the cloud, maybe for security reasons, but they're still going to want to have that cloud-like architecture within their four walls for data that they're just not comfortable or for performance reasons that they don't necessarily um, want to move to the cloud. Now, um, what's, what's interesting is that um, we think that the SMBs, which is where a lot of the the distributors tend to sell, you know, they've been um, behind this curve, right? They 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 haven't been able to invest in the cloud at the same rate. And we do think that you know one of our key predictions is by 2025, 30 percent of SMBs worldwide will have moved half of their workloads to the cloud, right? So that's an important inflection point that we're going to get to over the next two years here, because that says that all these distributors that maybe have been moving sort of traditional gear into SMBs, they're seeing now more and more SMBs starting to understand the value of the cloud, understand the flexibility that the cloud brings. And mm -hmm. I think that that's that speaks volumes to how the market is progressing, but it also speaks volumes to how the selling motions of these resellers need to continue to evolve to meet the needs of these small and medium businesses around the world as they embrace the cloud. That's that's great. That's very enlightening. That's now that percentage that you mentioned, yep. that's coming from where? In other words, would that be a 50% increase, a 70% increase? What yeah, yeah. So so that's that's coming from uh depending upon when you when you count it, but where we are where we are now, um that's definitely a, a more than 20% increase. Wow. Um that that from, from from but again, it's going to be different from small to medium sized businesses. Yeah. It's going to be different from geography, but I I guarantee you it's a it's a double digit increase. Yeah, well, and then what it does is, and I have to tell you, Crawford, in my discussions and with both the distributors and the distributor customers, the solution providers, they're very bullish about yeah. their opportunities going into 2024. And a lot of it is related to that. A lot of it's related to services opportunities and different kinds of opportunities, right? You mentioned hardware earlier, right? Which is yeah. near and dear to all of our hearts because <laughs> we, we grew up selling it. Yeah. Um, but, um, Clearly, I think we will see, you know, the PC, the laptop, the endpoint device market, if you will, come back, right? Um, and that's before the big technology enhancements like AI PCs right. and those kinds of things. We'll see that come back. And it's never going to go away. But where the opportunity clearly appears to be in the next few years is sort of in the services space for the solution providers and also for the distributors who are helping them get into that space uh, with new technologies, particularly you know AI and of course SaaS and software, you know continue to continue to be significant. So, but going back to hardware for a minute, you kind of indicated you you'd see it coming back. What's your sense in terms of the impact that? "Quote unquote AI PCs could have on the marketplace because yeah so yeah sure so so I think that the majority of the the so let's put some numbers around it so if you look at the PCs and tablets in twenty three that market was down in dollars about fourteen percent we think it'll be up in dollars about four or five percent next year okay most of that swing is going to be on a refresh cycle 
So actually, you know, and it's funny, you talk to guys like Enrique, the CEO, Loris, the, C the CEO of HPE, uh, HPI, um, you know, he'll talk about a multi-year cycle for PCs. And, and, and I think he's onto something there because I actually, well, I'm going to get to your answer. I think that the majority of the growth you're going to see in PCs next year and even into the first half of 25, okay, fine. AI will get a lot of ink. But the reality is it's going to be on the refresh cycle and it's going to be on the end of life cycle associated with Windows 11. You have to rethink jobs. You have to rethink uh, how people get their work done. You have to build applications and services in order to allow people to take advantage of AI <laughs> at the edge. So that's going to take some time. Right, that's going to take you know a kind of deboning of of job processes and understanding how these applications can be built and then applied to specific roles within organizations that are going to allow people to take advantage of these services because you don't just dream these things up overnight. So I actually think Enrique's got a point where you could see a refresh cycle throughout 24 and into 25. Then you see the emergent. Now again, you know, <laughs> you and I go back in in hardware, right? All this stuff kind of comes along for the ride, right? So this tech. Technology is shipped into PCs. It's embedded. Now, all of a sudden, people are starting to light it up. And they start lighting it up in 25. They start taking advantage of it in 25. Oh, and then guess what? That fuels the demand for more PCs like that with those technologies, with those technology, with, with those uh, capabilities that allow you to take advantage of, of, of AI and these new AI workloads and applications that will get invented. So that could actually allow us to see nice mid single digit growth for PCs for a couple of years going forward um, on what ends up being an elongated cycle. Um, so I'm actually quite uh, intrigued by what could happen on the client side and we could see new life for uh, what I would argue may be one of the most useful devices. Uh, certainly that and the mobile phone are some of the most useful devices we've ever created on this planet. Uh, but, but where people left this category for debt um, you know, in 2019, before the pandemic, it's kind of interesting. And then they certainly left it for dead again after the pandemic. Kind of interesting to see people were potentially relying on it in a new way going forward. Yeah, I, yeah, it was funny. Your your team, when I was with your team at the end of uh, 22, they signaled to us yeah. what was happening, right? It was build up in inventory. Things yep. were going to slow down and pretty much predicted and did a really good job of what happened in 2023. The good news is we seem to have sort of um, survived that and now we're kind of working <laughs> through it, right? Yeah. And, and everybody's getting excited about, you know, the next step. So Crawford, um, you know, kind of in closing out a little bit, um, one of the things that I think a lot of our listeners know, because a lot of our listeners attend our event, pay attention to GTDC, but last year you were a keynote speaker at our North America event. And uh, it went so well that uh, the, 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 the participants asked for you to come back. And so uh, I appreciate uh, the fact that you'll be back this year at our event. Uh, it's February 7th and 8th in uh, the San Diego area. And um, I know you're going to talk a little bit about and expand on kind of what we've discussed. Yeah. Uh, so give us a kind of a quick overview of you know, what you're thinking, what you're going to cover there, because I think sure. you're really interested. 
Yeah, sure. So, you know, what I'm going to talk about, and by the way, thank you for having me back. It's a great event. Uh, it's a it's a it's it's a special group to me because this has been a group that I've seen evolve and I've seen this group. Um, and so and when it was interesting last year, looking out at the audience, seeing so many faces that I know from over the years. So it's just great to see uh, so many people. Um, but it's a group that has, re like I said earlier, reinvented itself and evolved. And so I'm really interested in sharing some of these insights. I'll talk about the state of demand. I'll talk about how demand is changing and some of the macroeconomic factors um, that, uh, are, that, that are in play. I'll talk about some of the eras of computing and how, uh, we, how we got to where we are today and how I believe that we're kind of exiting this wonderful golden era of technology uh, that we saw evolve with the cloud and how we've sort of set the stage for a new era of technology. And that new era of technology is really fueled by AI and how AI uh, will change the world in ways many people aren't maybe thinking about today. I'll talk about how enterprises are are thinking about AI, how, how um, well, so let me take a step back. I'll talk about what's fueling demand today. So I'll talk about whether that's, you know, on the hardware side, what those categories look like. I'll talk about why software is so resilient. I'll talk about why services are so important um, going forward. I'll talk about the era of AI. And then within the era of AI, how AI will likely evolve over the next few years. Additionally, I want to spend some time interacting with the audience around what some of the customer perceptions around AI are, what customers are concerned about, where customers are investing, where customers are maybe scratching their head and saying, am I going to see a payback here? And then talk about some of the risks associated with AI and what we need as an industry to be mindful of. And so I'd like to be able to really spend some time thinking about, in short, the next chapter of the industry. I believe that this period we've gone through from 2015 to, to 2021 has been a marvelous time of technology innovation, but I believe it's set the table for an explosion in technology. And I think you see it in the numbers, and I'll talk about it in the numbers, where Technology, we depend on it in ways that is very, very different from the old days. In the old days, we depended on technology as something that could process our data, but it was really much, very much a hardware and, and software um, uh, welded together that we would use as a package. And 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 frankly, when demand got slow, we could we could stop that. We could we could say, you know what, I'm not going to spend on PCs. I'm not going to spend on servers. I'm not going to spend. That's all changed now. Now we have technology that's inside the central nervous system of our companies. And so you're not going to back away from technology. As a matter of fact, I can make the argument you're going to invest in technology in down cycles in order to get a competitive advantage. Well, what does that mean for AI? How should companies think about that? How should companies think about their data in relation to AI and what the risks are, what the opportunities are, and how they can give employees new skills and, 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 and new um, um, uh, opportunity with, with AI. Those are some of the things I'd like to talk about uh, when, we get to, uh, when we get together in February. Yeah, well, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait, that's, that's a great list. Um, the other thing that we're doing as part of the event um, is uh, Eric Prothro and your team is also going to host uh, a panel on data. Uh, right. you, you and I talked about that, and I think that's going to be really important because there's a lot of discussion about sources and use of data and 
you know, how do we do that? And that's partly talking about AI and how AI, you know, sort of impacts that. But more importantly, just the overall how you ought to view data and what it ought to, you know, what you ought to, how you ought to be acting in in uh, the things that are being done at the uh, in the company. So Absolutely, and 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 I'm really appreciative of that because I think that companies need to really think about their data strategy. Um, and 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 it really and and one of my key messages, and I, and I know Eric will talk about it as well, is it all really starts with your data, um, and it starts with how you think about categorizing your data, structuring your data. Um, and uh, that, of course, you know, if, if you don't if you don't get that right, you got a real problem going forward. And it's what we've built a business on, and and I want to encourage others to think about that as a real way to differentiate their businesses. Totally. Well, Crawford, this has been great. We, I really appreciate it. I can't wait to see you in person out uh, February seventh and eighth uh, at our event. Anybody that's listening and just and sees this, uh, if you haven't registered yet, register because we'd love we'd love to have you. Probably. Yeah, we look forward to it. Thanks, Thank Frank. You.